Welcome to One Action, a podcast by PepsiCo, where we highlight contributors to the sustainable food system across the region. I'm Rona Halabi. I'm joined on the show today by Dr. Mark Tester, Professor of Plant Science and Associate Director at the Center for Desert Agriculture at the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. He's also the co-founder of Red Sea in Saudi Arabia. I wanted to start out by asking about the importance of food security as our population moved past the 8 billion mark in 2022. The growth of the population is very important uh, pressure on the food system and on the global ecosystem. At the moment, we're producing enough calories uh, to feed the world. And in fact, we're producing enough calories to feed the world until 2050 by most predictions. Uh, the pressures, of course, are climate change, which could impact crop yields quite significantly. We also have terrible amounts of waste, um, which needs to be greatly reduced. Um, there's four things I'm going to say. <laughs> um, the, the, the third thing, which is extremely important, is that although there's enough calories for people, there isn't enough nutrition. And by this, I mean some of the micronutrients in particular, things like vitamin A, iron, very, very important. And there are many, many, well, maybe they estimate in the order of 2 billion, mainly women and children who um, are micronutrient deficient. And this can really affect energy levels, growth, even growth of, uh, of cognition, um, which is terrible. That's another major issue which we really do have to address. The fourth issue, which I really think is um, the, the, the real giant, um, is the sustainability of our food system. So we can grow stuff and we're doing well for, for humans, and there hasn't been a famine for decades, which is very, very notable. It's remarkable, in fact. But we're really putting pressure on the planetary systems. Uh, the food system uses, you know, to put the food on our plates, we use half the land that all humans use. We use three quarters of all the water humans use. It's a massive water demand for our food production. And depending how you slice the cake, it's the second or third biggest emitter of greenhouse gases globally, much more than transport, for example. Let me dig into that a little bit more and take you back to point number one as well and linking that to point number four. <laughs> so climate change. So we talk about climate change and, ha and how that's affecting agriculture. But now we were just talking on your fourth point about how agriculture is actually, you know, affecting the environment and how we use most of the water for agriculture. So how do we address that? That actually is a very good question. Um, yes, climate change affects the food production and the food production is affecting climate change. Um, and it's, um, it's, it is a bit of a vicious circle. And to get ourselves out of this, we need to break some of the traps that we're caught in. There's a classic one, which we call the food, water, energy nexus. So to produce our food, we need water. No water, no plants, no plants, no food. But to get water, often you need energy. And so you can save en you can save water, but you often increase the amount of energy. You can save energy, but you're increasing the amount of water that you're using. So we need to break this trap. And to do this, I mean, put simply, we need to um, innovate. And we need to innovate at multiple levels. Um, 
I think the planet's in a very, very <laughs> bad situation at the moment, but I'm actually not ultimately pessimistic, although I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm not ultimately pessimistic because humans are highly innovative and they will deploy innovations when they really have to. And often that's when it becomes economically viable, profitable to do so. And um, and the situation is getting you know, really quite so serious now on the planet that we actually have to take on some of these innovations. So we need to have innovations in policy, we need to have innovations in society, and underpinning um, all of this um, are technologies. We need to have new technologies developed and then deployed, the deployment requiring societal change and policy change. You know, when you talk about how how scary the situation is, and we've been reading also about, you know, like different uh, regions, um, you know, in our part of the world, looking at Iraq, for example, and what's also happening there in terms of, you know, like basically water is drying up. So I'm just wondering, you know, like if you want to zoom in on our region here, what are the additional layers of challenges that we face? Yeah, this in, in this region, it's critical. We're using a lot of groundwater, which has been there from historical times, or I should say prehistorical times. Some of the water that we're using is you know, 7,000 years old. And this is perhaps even older. And more important, doesn't matter how old it is, I guess, really, more important is it's not being replenished as fast as it is being withdrawn. It's particularly critical in the Arabian Peninsula, where there's very little recharge. Um, so pretty much every drop of water we take out, that's it. It's a one-way journey, and uh, there's not going to be replaced or being replaced in a tiny amount over a very long time period. I'm talking hundreds of years. At the rate in Saudi Arabia it's being used, we estimate that we have between 17 and 170 years before that water will, in effect, run out. Um, 17 years isn't very long, mm -hmm. even 170 years. The way I max, the way I word it, especially when I'm talking to business or even even governments, you need to maximise the value from each cubic meter of water you're pulling out. You need to maximise, if you're a company, the, the dollars return for that water. For society, it has to be a broader societal benefit from that cubic meter of water that you're pulling out, and. For agriculture, we have to analyze very critically what we really need to be using that water for. And you think about it, 40% of our food is cereals. We've got um, an amazing ability to grow these in lots of areas in the world in huge quantities with really relatively low inputs. In other words, relatively sustainably. And so we really need to be sourcing our foods here in the Middle East from sustainably grown locations when their their food stuffs which we can transport with a very low carbon uh, footprint so this means the cereals all of our grains we could we we should import and we can import them in ships huge amounts being moved with relatively low carbon footprints long shelf life they can be stored and as long as you manage your stores well as long as you have good quality storage facilities which we can build in the middle east there's a great confusion in people's minds that food security is equivalent to 
food self-sufficiency. We don't have to grow stuff locally to be secure in the food. What we have to do is source from multiple locations. We get our wheat from a range of sources from South Africa, from Australia, from Ukraine, uh, from North America, from South America. If you get your sourcing from multiple locations, then you've got much more security. So when somewhere does go wrong, something does go wrong, the Suez Canal gets blocked, we end up with that terrible war in the Ukraine. You're still safe with your food supplies because you're getting it from lots of sources, not just one source. Mm. However, when you start thinking about the perishables, things like our fruits and vegetables, you really do need to start growing them locally much more when you're considering the environmental sustainability because the carbon footprint of flying produce around is huge. It's shocking how much carbon dioxide is emitted getting your strawberries from California, getting your tomatoes from the Netherlands. And that's where you start to think about the benefits becoming quite large when you've got a high value, short shelf life product uh, being grown locally really makes a very big impact um, on, your, on your carbon footprint. So if you've just got a little bit of water stored underground, even it's a big little bit of water, you can only use it once. Let's grow fresh fruits and vegetables locally and let's import all of those bulk commodity foodstuffs from sustainable sources. When we come back, we'll talk more about how Red Sea is helping with both water and food security. That's right after this short break. Welcome back. I'm Rona Halabi, and you're listening to One Action with our guest, Dr. Mark Tester. As I mentioned, Dr. Tester is the co-founder of Red Sea Farms, a company transforming the agricultural industry using groundbreaking sustainable technologies and innovation. Actually, I should lower the camera a little bit because I've got Red Sea Farms t-shirt on. <laughs> so we're primarily a technology company in Arabia. In the Middle East, we also have a produce brand, which is Red Sea Farms. And what we're trying to do is make a contribution, um, a technological contribution to these issues that we've just been discussing. So what we're trying to do is use um, new plant science technologies, engineering technologies, nanotechnologies, information technologies, and combine these to make a platform, like a pick and mix uh, for local farmers and farmers globally that are in hot, dry environments to try to improve yields and reduce the environmental footprint. So, for example, in the Middle East, I'm a very strong promoter that we should be growing more fresh fruits and vegetables. Then you need to think, well, we've got to do this all year. We can't, can't just have fresh fruits and vegetables in the, in the winter this time of year. So you need actually controlled environment systems. And then you start looking at the greenhouses. Most of them are cooled using evaporation of water. <laughs> They're almost all. 99.9% .9 of greenhouses are cooled using the evaporation of fresh water, which is just often just being desalinized. So you're using energy to desalinize the water and then you're just evaporating it. And one contribution we're doing is to uh, cool uh, greenhouses using seawater or using salty brackish groundwater that we're not using for anything else. And that can have a huge reduction in the freshwater footprint 
of of the tomatoes so when you and i go to the supermarket go to the market buy a kilogram of tomatoes one kilogram of tomatoes takes about 350 kilograms of water third of a ton of water just to produce one kilogram of tomatoes that's, a, that's an enormous amount of fresh water if you grow them in the greenhouses and cool the greenhouses using seawater rather than fresh water that fresh water footprint can go down to 20 or 30 liters go down by a factor of 10 or more um and that's that's a good contribution we could actually take it down to zero but then your capital expenditure goes up and it doesn't turn into a business and that's where i think what we're trying to do is is good we're trying to roll out technologies roll out innovations um but do them in a way which is pragmatic and makes business sense so then it's easier for a farmer to adopt you don't need government subsidies in fact i'd like to get rid of government subsidies because that would help us penetrate markets much more easily if farmers were paying the real price for water for example they'd be grabbing our technologies instantaneously because they'd be saving so much money so that's just one example and we're using more you know you know internet of things um that's that's incredibly powerful machine learning and sensors and combining these in the cloud we've got this wonderful um young turkish woman daria daria baran and she's invented a nanoparticle an organic molecule based nanoparticle which absorbs in the infrared and it's photovoltaic <laughs> i just it just it makes me weep it's such beautiful technology and so it's completely transparent or nearly completely transparent to visible light so you can make the roof of the greenhouses from plastic which has got her nanoparticles in them and they absorb the heat so it reduces the amount of cooling that's required it makes electricity which can be used for cooling and um everybody wins you get less water used less electricity used less carbon dioxide emissions and you've got a greenhouse which is still fully functional for growing plants in so how do you measure that impact and <laughs> how do you feel that this is growing actually you're probably asking the wrong guy i i'm a i'm i'm still a bit of a geek you know <laughs> doing my plant mm -hmm. stuff we have our own greenhouses where we're producing produce and using our technologies in those greenhouses so we have a six hectare greenhouse quite near um, Riyadh, for example, and it's great. And we've got produce in 100 supermarkets now, or even 150 shops. I don't know. We've got a lot, over 100. And um, and I can't give you an, an honest answer. I just know that every time you buy a box of tomatoes, it's 75 litres less of water. Wow, 75. So that's quite a lot. And um, and with this heat blocking that Derry has invented, um, we actually haven't measured the impact yet. We know it's huge because we know that the greenhouses are cooler and that the, for example, the, the shading doesn't have to go across the greenhouse as early in the mm. day. So then you get more light down onto the plants and the plants grow and produce more. We've got a beautiful new greenhouse just built on Salal in collaboration with Salal in the, in, in, in the UAE. And we've, we've got a real scientific arrangement where we've got uh, it's a hectare greenhouse, one hectare of greenhouse, and half has got our technologies in and the other half hasn't. And then we can measure all of the electricity, water and so on in those two and show people. 
um, the output. Mm. So then you can convert those electricity saved and water saved into dollars and cents and uh, make a business case for the for the for the customer for the farmer um but i think the impacts are going to really accelerate in 2023 so maybe ask me that question in one year from now <laughs> and i'll be able to give some like some real numbers and i I'm, I'm, okay. I look forward to doing that we all are in the company this next year is going to be very exciting you are an entrepreneur, so um, you are now working on this uh, on this project and trying to find solutions. But you're also uh, an educator and a researcher. So, how do you feel that the youth are maybe trying to change how things are? Yeah, wow, it's it's young people which give me hope. Uh, it's I was at COP twenty seven and I was in sessions where I was hearing the politicians and the world leaders <laughs> lying evading the questions you get pretty depressed i tell you it's really not good and then i, I went off and gave a talk myself to a to a young audience and i felt so much better because the young people really care um it's their world that's going to hell um us old guys will be dead soon <laughs> we'll be all right but our children and our grandchildren um are really really going to have to do things differently and um and so talking to young people i just feel so much more optimistic and positive and you could call me a, a techno optimist as well and i don't want to be too starry-eyed about this but I think in the hands of young people, there's a lot of technologies and innovations which really can be deployed quickly and with a real serious eye on the outputs which need to be kept an eye on, which are to do with sustainability. So, and 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 this is where I think IT, I mean, I'm a plant guy. So, okay, I love my plant science. You need it. That's sort of one of those foundational things you need. But you put on top of that stuff like IT, IoT, machine learning. In the hands of young people who are fantastic at these things, um, I think, and it's very good in the Middle East as well. IT is very strong in this region. And I think this has got a lot of, uh, lot of possibilities. And it does, it does keep me going, actually. Yeah. It's definitely growing the entrepreneurship scene yes. in the region here. Yes. I mean, we've recently also uh, concluded our uh, greenhouse accelerator program here in the Middle East, and it was really focused on uh, recycling, basically, collection Good. and recycling packaging. But the next uh, edition will be focusing on agriculture. And ah. uh, we are really super excited uh, to have this edition also in the Middle East. And it would be great to also have you with us. <laughs> um, but, you you know, I'm wondering what would be the your advice for the youth or the young entrepreneurs that are venturing into uh, this area of of work, given your you know your research and your work. Look, grab innovations, start to apply them to the food sector, which I argue is the most environmentally damaging of all sectors. It has to change; it's not negotiable. Innovate the hell out of it but be really really careful to keep your eye on the market all right if there's no market there's no business so you can innovate for all you like and if nobody's going to use it you're dead so you have to be able to deploy your innovations in a way 
and in a context that makes business sense. It has to make business sense. And so that's, yeah, I am, I'm an academic. You call me an entrepreneur. I, I, I feel flattered by that. <laughs> I'm not sure I am, <laughs> but uh, I'm, 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 I have wonderful, I work with wonderful people, young people I work with, um, who are definitely entrepreneurial. And it is definitely a, it's not the only mechanism to make impact. There's many ways you can make impact, but it's a very, very powerful way to make an impact. And I think we need it. Yeah. Innovate the hell out of this problem, but yeah be realistic you have to be able to have somebody buy what you're doing i hope we all take dr tester's advice as we think about innovation and how we can have a significant impact towards sustainability thank you for joining us today one action is brought to you by pepsico and is hosted by me rona halabi we're produced by murad bin ayed may barber marah gorani and shirag desai with support from natalie hatoum see you again next week